Um, I want to tell you about the worst day of my week uh, this last week. And it's not just a random story. It's going to tie to the sermon, but it might take a second. Um, Mondays are my day off and Mondays are wonderful. Uh, I, I stay away from technology. I turn stuff off. I walk away from it. I regularly leave my phone somewhere that I don't remember. And then I have to find it later. <laughs> Thank God for the uh, iCloud ding sound. Um, so I just, I walk away from technology. I don't take any ministry appointments. I love on my family. Uh, one of the things I do is I, I go to the gym with a group of guys, um, on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays also at 7 a.m. I just, I go because I found that, you know, I'm exhausted. This is the last day of my work week. And I'm like, man, I'm just got this internal momentum and I've got to, I got to get out and I got to work out so that I don't get funky and depressed because otherwise just like tidal wave of like depression hits me on Mondays. So if I get out and I work out, I'm good. Pastor gets depressed. Yeah, sometimes. Don't judge me. And so, so what I do is I'll go and I'll work out and then it just makes my Mondays better except for this last Monday. Um, this group of guys, we call ourselves the breakfast club and, and anytime a group of men name themselves anything, that means bad things will probably follow. When a group of guys name themselves, you got to watch out because, because insanity is close behind. It's kind of like, hold my drink or trust me, I can do this. Those are, those are cautionary phrases. It just, just pay attention. If you hear it, just take a couple steps back, Right. So that's the reality of this breakfast club. And so, so, um, last Sunday at church, we were talking and we've been on this workout cycle and we felt like a break was coming and we we're going to switch workouts. And Larry, our children's minister is like, guys, I think tomorrow is evaluation day. And John Patton, who's behind the board right now and myself, we're like, there's no way it's evaluation day because I've got a date with nachos. Evaluation day is definitely not happening because I plan on eating this afternoon. Now, when you know evaluation day is coming, you eat better. You do, you better, you do better with your food. You do it. And so we're having this conversation and we're like, there's no way. It's not time. It's early. The evaluation day is coming a few weeks away. We got time. I'm eating what I want to eat today. And none of that is water and celery or whatever would be good to eat. I don't even care what's good for me. I want what's tasty for me. And so that's how that conversation went. And so I show up on Monday morning, fully expecting our normal workout, fully expecting to be exhausted and tired and kind of just to grind through it. Oh yeah, sure enough, I show up and Coach Cliff is standing there with a big old smile on his face and our little workout sheets and I wanted to run away. That's the only exercise I wanted to do on Monday was to run far away. Because evaluation day is when Coach Cliff checks our progress. With quotation marks if you're listening online. By checking progress, he runs us through the ringer. There's a timed test. There are burpees, which are the devil's work. <laughs> you don't know what a burpee is. The exercise matches the result of that exercise. <laughs> the name matches the result of the exercise because it's exhausting and it's terrible in every way. And then there's this bench press thing we do and pull-ups. And then we push this thing called the prowler. It's really a sled, but we call it the prowler because that sounds more evil because it's evil. And then it's the prowler that really gets everybody, um, you know, doing throw-ups, which is not an exercise. That's just what happens when you do the prowler because it's awful. And then you do sit-ups and then more throw-ups. And uh, so that was my Monday. He ruined my life for the day. For the day, he ruined my life. It was a terrible experience, and I hated it. Um, so you're like, good story. Thanks. Um, the thing about evaluation day is that uh, when, when you get there and it's evaluation day, it's too late to do anything about it. 
whatever you ate yesterday and all week and whatever workouts you skipped and whatever work you didn't do or did do instead is on you. And there's no getting around it. One of the things I do is he, he weighs us and he measures our fat. And, you know, with this evil, like, ice cube picker-upper thing, you know, from the movies that they kill people with, he uses one of those, like, on, like, all these different places on your body and tortures you. And then he's like, ha, 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 that's because you ate muffins. And you're like, ha, ha, I'm going to Planet Fitness. <laughs> they give you pizza. <laughs> this is real. I'm not making it. There are men in this room who will testify, right? Cap, go ahead and put your hand up in the air. Come on. Yeah, he'll tell, he'll tell you the truth. He's better at it than I am, though. So I'm just saying evaluation day is tough. And uh, today I, w- I want to talk about another evaluation day. It's the day we, we recognize and we celebrate as Palm Sunday. Uh, we call it Palm Sunday. Shanique did a wonderful job explaining that during worship. And if you, if you missed it, basically there was this uh, putting down palms and waving them towards royalty and allowing them to, to walk on palms and having them waved at you. It was, like a, it was like the equivalent of a motorcade. It was like the 33 BC version of, of the presidential motorcade. And they, they honor royalty and, and kings and lords by, by putting that down. And they wouldn't have to walk on the dirty street. They would walk on top of that. And palms were symbolic of, of victory. And so they were saying as Jesus was walking in, they were waving it. And they were doing all the right things on the surface because they expected Jesus to overthrow the Roman government. They knew this guy had something on him. He had done miracles. His preaching was distinct. It was unique. He kept talking about this kingdom of heaven that was coming and that was there. So the kingdom of heaven is here. And, and everybody's like, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's going to overthrow this occupying force of the Romans. And, and everything's going to be the way it should be. Everything's going to be reconciled. Everything's going to be redeemed. Everything's going to be okay. And they were celebrating that he was going to overthrow Rome. But he had a different plan. He had a different plan. But the people were stirred because the rumors had spread and they were expecting him to do this remarkable thing. And they were laying down the branches and they were laying down the palms and worshiping. But in a few short days, we would see what Jesus saw all along. That the celebration and the worship that he was receiving wasn't for who he really was. It was who they wanted him to be. And sometimes we go after God for who we want him to be instead of who he really is. Even walking with Jesus for a number of years, that continues to be my greatest point of struggle is that I want him to be who I want him to be. And I want him to give me all, all things that I think are good, not things that he thinks are good because our definitions are off. They're, they're, they're not in agreement with each other all the time. See, Jesus would, would come in and he would allow them to, to do those, to do this worship and to lay the things down. They, he would allow them to wrongly try him, wrongly put him under, under trial and wrongly murder him because he had all the information at the time. Do you ever feel like, man, if I had known that, I would do this so differently? You're like, if I had known that in college, I would have done that differently. If I had known that in high school, I would have lived that differently. If I had known that, that on last Sunday, that evaluation day was Monday, I would have lived Sunday differently. I didn't have all the information. 
Even with the information we now have, we'll never have all the information. But the decisions that Jesus makes is with all the, dis- with all the information. There's no information he lacked as he was coming into Jerusalem and the people were worshiping him. He knew what their heart's intent was and it would be exposed just a few short days later when they were trying him and and criticizing him and wounding him and murdering him and rejoicing in his death. He had all the information, but he was still willing to go through that. Why would he be willing to do that? Because he had all the information. See, I even look at him coming in and I'm like, why were you willing to endure this knowing that they were going to kill you? Well, David, because I've got all the information. He knew he was going to endure those things. He knew that he was also going to rise from the dead. He knew that in rising from the dead, sin and death would be conquered and that we would have the opportunity for life. There's this verse in the Bible that says, men, give your wives up. uh, Men, love your wives as Christ loves the church and give yourselves up for her. And so, so, you know, in Christian marriage, the man has to sacrifice and surrender his life as Christ did for the church in love for his wife. So you can do that before you're married, gentlemen. If you're in middle school, high school, college, and you're trying to figure out, like, oh, I want to get married. Should I date every girl I think is cute? No! Give yourself up for your wife. Just hit the pause button on those silly dating relationships. They're not even in the room. What am I doing? They're in there. This is... This is good for all of us, right? So how about we're not in middle school, high school anymore, but hit the pause button on that thing and give yourself up for it. Put those passions and those excitements aside for just a minute. Die to those things and you're, you're investing in your future marriage. I'm just, that's free. So, but, but what I'm saying is you do it ahead of time. Christ died before the church existed, before we were a part of it. I'll say it that way. Because the true church had existed. The true children of Israel were there, but he died so that we could be joined to them. But it was a sacrifice. Uh, we, We learned that it was for the joy set before him that he endured even unto death on a cross. It was for the joy of knowing that we would be grafted together and we could be God's people, that he went through all of that. That's not what the sermon was supposed to be about, but I I just, I get excited. So what we're looking at today is Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 43. And this takes place right after all of the worship and all of the things that had just happened. After the palm waving and coats being laid on the ground, people crying out, Hosanna. In Luke 19, verses 41 through 43, and I'm going to read it, and it'll be up on the screen behind me. And then we're going to talk about it. And when he drew near and saw the city, he, being Jesus, wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, Open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts and minds to understand who you are and what you're looking for and what your hope is for us in Jesus. Amen. So I want to look at Christ's visit. We're going to look at his view. We're going to look at a violation. Christ's 
Christ comes in on this cult and it was fulfilling in, in, in doing so. He fulfilled prophecies that had been thousands of years in the making that the Messiah would do these things. They say that for Jesus to fulfill all the prophecies that he fulfilled would be the equivalent of covering the state of Texas three feet deep with like silver dollars, painting one of them red, and then sending a blind person out to pick out the red one. So it's mathematically, statistically impossible for him to have fulfilled everything that was happening, but they didn't see it for that at the time. They were blind to the reality of what was happening. It's only after the fact when he explained what he was doing that people's eyes were, that the disciples' eyes were open, that people's eyes were open to the reality of what he was up to. You know, it's kind of like when you watch a movie and you don't understand, you don't pick up on all the things in the movie until after the movie's over and then you're like, whoa, wait a second. It's an old reference, but like the movie Inception, right? All these things happen throughout the movie and at the end of the movie, you think all the way back through it and you're like, wait a second, what was really, like, you, that was that and that was that and that was that and then you, you see the movie through, a different, through different eyes and from a different perspective and you realize that what you thought was happening wasn't really what was happening and what was happening was, was greater or better or different than you, than you had ever expected, Right? That's the way Jesus' life was for the disciples. He was going through these motions. He was born in an insignificant place to insignificant people. He he went to Egypt for a period of time to hide because they were killing all the babies. And he came back and he was serving in a certain way. And he did these miracles. and And he was fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Just kind of quietly going about it. Not drawing attention to himself. For 30 years, we don't even... like From age 12 to 30, we basically have no idea what he was doing except for making chairs and being a carpenter. And so we... We look back at it and we're like, whoa, that's what he was up to? I had no idea. You ever have a friend who's doing, like, they graduate one day with a master's degree and you're like, what? You got your, how'd you do that? It's like, because quietly they were working away at it in the background. Or somebody comes out with something awesome and they're like, yeah, I built that. And you're like, when did you build that? All those times they weren't hanging out. (laughs) Right? Or somebody turns around and they're rich. And you're like, you're rich? I'm not talking about like rich with friends. I'm like money. No. <laughs> Everybody's like, he's being spiritual. No, I'm not. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about like mullah, the green stuff. You know, and it's like, how did you do that? Well, they've been putting it away for years, just quietly, just kind of setting it aside, paying off their house, doing the things they got to do, not buying the, you know, the extra size at Burger King. <laughs> They were satisfied with the medium fry and they put the rest of the money in savings. And And then you realize, what, you're rich? And it's like, yeah, all along, these little decisions that we were making, uh, you know, led to uh, having some money. I'm not obsessed with money. I just think about it sometimes. Now, here's the trick about the visitation of Jesus. So he had this visit planned for, for years and years, and, and he's now fulfilling it. And uh, But the visitation of Jesus is is tricky. Uh, because it can look like a lot of things. And if you don't know what you're, what you're looking for, you're going to miss it. In 2007, I had viral meningitis. And the, the, the way we knew is <laughs> uh, the splitting headache and the, and the pain down my neck. But I also had some other weird symptoms. My, half my face went numb. Um, and, and I started shaking like this. And it, it was scary, but weird. I was more weirded out by it. And so... You know, Megan's like, we gotta, you got to go to the doctor. I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> It'll come back. You know, like your face going numb. You'd think that it'd be more scary than it is, but it just feels like your face is numb. It feels like your hand is numb, but it's your face. So you're like, 
I've been numb before. It's just tingly, you know, and you're like, it's like, I don't even, you know, I'm okay. You know, and she's like, no, there's something wrong with you. And we got this little baby girl, you know, and, and she's like, you were dying. You know, she didn't say it, but I know she was thinking, I was like, just call the doctor. Call the doctor. I'm laying on the couch. Call the doctor. You know, and I'm sitting there like, this is fine. This is normal for young 20 men in their 20s who are awesome. It happens to all of us. And so she calls and he's like, you gotta go to, you gotta go to the hospital. You know, and so she drives me to the hospital and I'm like, fine, I'll go. I'm just sitting in the hospital for three hours while they wait to see me. And, you know, we walk up and I'm like this and they're like, what are your symptoms? She's like, face numbness. And they go, phew. And they, <laughs> they throw me in a back room because they knew the symptoms. They knew what to look for. And I had all the bad, I had the, all the wrong symptoms to have any time of your life. Right? Turns out I had stroke symptoms and heart attack symptoms and seizure symptoms. I was throwing every, I had the whole kitchen sink. And they're like, this dude's gonna die. Let's get him back and give him some medicine. I would have missed it because I didn't know what the symptoms were. It was really, really dangerous because I had no idea how dangerous my symptoms were. I didn't even, even if I had, I did have a moment where I was like, oh, numbness. I heard a radio commercial about this. That might be a stroke. And I'm like, whatever, strokes. I'm a man. I'm young. Because <laughs> that's how you think when your face is numb. It's like, <laughs> I'm sure this happens to other people. I'll be fine. Because even if I had understood the symptoms and I understood the significance of the symptoms, I didn't even understand the consequence of the thing that I was facing. And so often we go through life not understanding the symptoms and not understanding the consequence. So when God visits, we have no idea what he's there to address or what he's up to. And he's like, look, you're facing destruction. You're facing death and you're facing pain and sorrow. And there's hope and joy and life and peace available to you. But you're, 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 you're running headlong into this because you don't even recognize the symptoms. You don't understand that that anxiety or that depression or that stress or that sorrow or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, that addiction or that, 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 that relationship or that, that bad habit. You don't know that that's a symptom. But I'm here to let you know about the symptoms. There's a visitation day from two perspectives. There's the little V, lowercase v visitation, and there's the capital V visitation. The capital V visitation uh, will not be subtle at all. That's when <laughs> Jesus comes back. And that's open to Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And you can read about what it looks like when Jesus comes back. And it is dramatic. It is huge. It is big. That's what all the movies about end times are about. Um, you know, when you see meteors fall in and all these other, you know, that's what that's what that's about. It's not going to be a subtle experience when Jesus uh, judges the world. Um, but the lowercase visitation uh, is this one that can be as subtle and as soft as a as a whisper, as gentle as a, "Hey, I'm here. I'm here to check in on you." Hey, your heart's wrong right there. That's, that could be the visitation of God. Hey, don't do that. Hey, forgive that person. He's visiting by his Holy Spirit and directing our hearts and our minds and our intent, our motivations. He's like, go ahead and do that. But your motivation in doing it is all wrong. That can be the visitation of God coming to you and directing your heart and directing your mind, directing your behaviors and your mindsets. It could be as powerful as a storm that shakes your foundations. You know, it's... Uh, 
the other day when we had that storm, trees, a bunch of trees fell around my, around our yard. Uh, and, and so we saw like big mature trees were falling and it was loud and it was, the furniture flew off the porch and it was like, man, this is a big old storm. Sometimes calamity comes. Sometimes big things happen. Sometimes we, we get, we get in that car accident or we get that bill we can't afford or we end up in the hospital or we spend three months being sick in the same house and it's going around and around and around and around. And that can be a visitation as well where God's saying, Hey, are you going to cry out to me or are you going to be this on your own? Hey, I'm right here and I want you to run to me. Will you, will you take this as a cue to come to me? Or will you take this as a cue to be, to stand more on your own and to be more, uh, stand, more obstinate and more, more stubborn in your own position? So, so how do you know the difference between the, the storm that's just a storm that's a distraction and the storm that's the, the presence of God and the visitation? How do you know the difference between the whisper of God and the whisper of our own imagination? We've got to know him. We've got to know him. And the way that we know him and the way that we learn his, his voice, the way that we learn his, his motivation, the way we pick up his vocabulary is, is we, we, look in, we look in the Bible. That's why it's important to read the Bible. Because we'll get a vocabulary for the things of God and he'll tell us what's on his heart and what's on his mind and he'll, he'll deposit things so he can speak to us from it. Now we've got a vocabulary to use <clears throat> that we've been missing all along. Sure, God will speak to you and he'll use the language that you've got. Yes, he'll, he'll, he'll use circumstances. He'll use TV shows. He'll use novels. He'll use things and he'll be like, hey, remember that thing that happened in that movie? Yeah, this. But his that's like, that's God loving us. That's not his primary way that he wants to speak to us. Uh, I had a friend tell me one time he got this revelation while he was watching Jerry Springer. You know, and it was just, it was really funny. And, you know, I'm like, okay. <laughs> not God's primary way to want to speak to you. I bet you he's been trying real hard to get your attention if he's speaking to you through the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, if, if you're trying to, if you're having to work real hard to hear God and you're watching, you're like, hey, that movie is kind of like Jesus, you know, because he murders everyone and then he doesn't die or he almost dies. It's like, no, you're trying too hard. It's right here. It's really, it's really, you don't have to twist a movie into sounding like the Bible because the Bible's already written. Right, so we, so, so I just encourage you if you want to know, and, and if you don't know how to, if you don't know how to read, somebody asked me one week uh, in the last couple of months, they said, "How do you know all that?" And I was like, "I don't. I, I have to. I, I, I read it and I study it and I pray and I ask questions, and and it's part of my job to act like I know on Sunday morning or to know well enough on Sunday morning. How's that?" But if I were to preach the same message again next year, there's going to be more to it because we're constantly learning and we're constantly like growing in our understanding and our revelation of who God is and what he's up to. It's going to grow. It's going to grow with me. It's going to grow with you. It's going to grow with us. So the little V visitation, we, we need to be aware. And, you know, maybe something to do is just to say, hey, God, are you speaking to me? Is this you or is this not you? And we can be confident that God is going to affirm it. He's not, he's not going to be like, nope. Not me, if it's really him. Right? He's not, he's not tricky like that. At the conference the other, the other week, they said, yeah, God loves to hide. He loves playing hide and go seek. And the place he always hides is right in his word. Right? So you're like, I can't find God. It's like, well, have you read your Bible? No. 
I was watching Jerry Springer. <laughs> well, he's probably not hiding there the way, the way that you need him. <laughs> let's, let's just try the Bible out. By the way, if you need help reading your Bible, or you're like, hey, I tried it and I didn't like it. Uh, and, you know, I'd say try it again. Or come, just tell me. Be like, hey, look, I read the Bible and I didn't like it. And I don't understand it. And then let's get, I'll, we can get some coffee and we'll talk about the Bible and what, how to approach it and how to understand it. And, and uh, I think that, that'd be helpful for, if that's helpful for you, I, I'd love to help you. And I just flat out enjoy doing that. There's few things more enjoyable in life than, than figuring out what the Bible has to say about God and about life and about the life that God intends for us and why. But um, so he comes and he, and he surveys. So what's he looking for? Do you ever feel like God's coming, looking to fail you like Cliff Russell at the gym? Yeah, that's right. I said your name. I hope you watch the live stream, Cliff. <laughs> I feel like that evaluation is set up to fail me because I've been doing this for two years and I still want to die every single time I do it. He is an awful man. <laughs> I love him, but he's... <laughs> But he's still got some sin nature that needs to be worked out of him, clearly. <laughs> because, <laughs> no, okay. I take most of that back. You want to see a really bad apology? Cliff, I'm sorry, but it's your fault. If you were so mean, I wouldn't believe these things about you. <laughs> now, Cliff's great at being awful. No, <laughs> Sorry, I can't stop. I can't stop. This is one of those, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me moments. Like, I can stop. I can. I don't want to, but I can and I will. I can't pick up a car in the parking lot. That doesn't apply to that. But it, it applies to things like this. Stop distracting me. We're talking about <laughs> what is God looking for when he comes? What is Christ looking for? Luckily, he tells us what he's looking for. The Bible says that he's, he's, he's looking across the earth for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for people who are pursuing truth so he can give them more truth. He's looking for people who are pursuing righteousness. He's not looking for the wicked man to destroy him. That wouldn't be a very hard search. (laughs) What he's looking for is he's looking for the righteous man who wants more of God. That's what he's looking for so that he can find righteousness and reward it. That's the whole thing about Noah, about Noah and the, in the ark and everything else. He was looking and everything was wicked. Everything was falling apart. People were murdering each other and slaying one another and, and having, just hating one another and hating God and hating each other. And he's looking and he's like, is there somebody righteous? There was Noah. And Noah's like, can my family come along? He's like, okay. Abraham and Lot, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, he's like, I just need somebody who's righteous there. Just find somebody who's righteous and I'll protect it. He was looking, he's looking for righteousness so he can bless it. He's looking for people with a heart after him so that he can give them the secrets of the kingdom of heaven so he can lift you up and encourage you and inspire you. Maybe he won't give you a million dollars, but he can give you the most fulfilling life you could ever have because with Jesus, we're fulfilling what we were designed for. With Jesus, we finally become the the person that he intended us to be in the first place. Until then, it's just a hint of who it is that he wants us to be. He's not seeking for the for weakness to crush people 
He says a brood reed, he won't, a bruised reed, like a reed, like a cattail, he won't break. A smoldering wick, he won't quench until he brings justice to victory in his name, Gentiles will hope. He's not out to crush the people who are weak. If you're weak and you're afraid that God's going to crush you because you're weak, you don't need to fear. You just say, I'm weak. One of the most sincere prayers I ever prayed, I prayed in the den of my house. I was praying a really perfect prayer. I was like, God, I just love you and I want to honor you and serve you. And uh, I just, you know, I just really want you. I want to make you so happy. I want to please you with my life. And, and I felt like God was like, please. Because <laughs> really what was going on in my heart, I, I was mad. And so instead of defaulting to being mad, instead of being angry about my mad, I put on like my super spiritual like, you know, oh, I heard Pastor Dehan pray like this one time. I'm going to try his voice out, right? And I'm going to pray like Pastor Dehan prays and I'm going to pray these words that I don't really mean and maybe, like maybe I'll mean them. And so, so I just, I kind of hit, I hit the pause button. Well, I hit the, the eject button and I jumped in and I was like, God, I'm, I'm mad. I am angry. And I, I don't want to make you happy right now. I want to just sit and have a bad attitude and I want to throw things. And, you know, I started talking to him. And then he started getting to my heart. It was funny that the, the prayer that was covered in pretense and had all the right words didn't move God at all. It didn't change me at all. It just made me harder and more rigid to God and his presence. But as I started being honest with him, he started, the Holy Spirit started coming to me and bringing me life and bringing me hope. And it was like, you know, so by the time I was done with that prayer, I was sincere. I was like, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I just, I was mad. I wanted to do the wrong thing and I knew I had to do the right thing and I'm sorry. And it moved to a place of contrition and humility and and I felt God coming and being like, hey, all right. Now we can do something. Now we can go somewhere. You ever had a prayer like that with God where you just decided to not just lie to him? (laughs) Right? Like that works. He's like, bro, I... I know exactly what you really feel. Now, we can't just stay mad and angry at God and throw stuff and pitch a fit, right? He is a holy God. And when we, like, there is some, there, there's respect that we should come to him with, but, but lying to him is hardly respect. So, uh, so he sees, he sees this and the people are worshiping him and they're doing all these things, but he can see through it. He knows that what they, uh, what they want isn't what he wants and, he, and what he sees disappoints him. In verse 42, we learn that uh, what he wants them to have in that moment, what he was looking for specifically in these people is that they would, they would have the conditions of peace. They would, know, they would know about the peace. It says uh, in verse 42, would that you, even you, that's not a stutter, that's an emphasis, that's a, like an, a, an emotional emphasis. If you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, if you had known the things that make for peace, if you had been doing the things that make for peace, if you had been walking in repentance and, and if you had been transformed by my love, if you had been walking in righteousness, if you, if there was just some love 
for crying out loud. If you had some righteous love as God defines it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if there was just love, if you could just show me that you were trying to honor me and you would show me that you're trying to please me with your life, then, then all of this could be avoided. But because you're running from me and because you've run from me, because you're hardened to me, destruction's going to come to you. And he weeps because destruction's going to come to them. It does not please God to bring destruction to us. It was for the joy set before him that he endured even life unto a cross. For the joy set before him, he destroyed even his own body so that we could have life. It doesn't please him for destruction to come upon us. He wept. He was heartbroken. Shanique asked an interesting question this morning in our, in our meeting before the service. We were talking about this, and, and, or it might have been Shanique, but we, the question was, I wonder if the people knew that they were being insincere. That's a great question. I'd say if you've just been going through the motions, you're at risk of being insincere. If you're just there because the crowd ran and the crowd was doing it, if the crowd was raising their hands, or it's not exactly a crowd at Grace Covenant in Sterling, but it works by some definitions. <laughs> but if you just followed the crowd in, but you, you're just doing it through, like, through memory or through routine or through ceremony or through something else, you're at risk. You're at risk of doing it through routine and being far from God. So I would just say, shake up your routine. Shake up the routine. Don't do it just because you've been doing it forever. Don't come to church next Easter on Sunday because, because it's Easter Sunday, but come because you want to celebrate that he's risen from the dead and you can kind of shake yourself out of it. Invite somebody to come along. That shakes me out of it better than anything else. When I invite other people into a relationship with Jesus, when I invite other people to come along, that shakes me out because it just makes me uncomfortable. I get scared. I've been doing it for years and I'm, I'm still like, oh, here we go. Right? Am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? You know, and you know, like if you, it's like, uh, you just walk by him. <laughs> you know, like if I see my name, neighbor on the way to get my mail, I'll talk to him. And then you're like, uh, I mean, if I see them on my way back from getting my mail, I'll talk to them. If they're still outside in 15 minutes when I call my kids in, I'll talk to them. Maybe if they're out tomorrow, that would be great confirmation that God wants me to talk to my neighbor. Right, so just, but we've got to do it. But that breaks me out of the, the, the routine because talking to people is not my routine. That's, that's a fearful place for me. It's a scary place for me. So but I step out and that breaks my routine and it's, man, Jesus is alive. That's why I want to talk to you about reading the Bible at Starbucks sometime because it's just amazing and it'll break both of our routines and it'll be awesome and we'll both be encouraged. Just saying. But he saw disappointed him and he wept. I'm going to take just a second longer to say, sometimes we feel like, well, if God would just do this, then I'd know and then I'd surrender. If God would just do this, then I would do this. And that would be the end of it. It'd be, it'd be settled. Here's the problem. Um, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus feeds 4,000 people and had baskets of food left over. And while the baskets of food were still sitting on the ground, like right there, all the religious people came to him and they were like, they were like, we need a sign that you're from heaven. He fed the 4,000 from 12 fish. 
think 12 fish. What, was it two fish and loaves? I don't know. Read it. It's in the Bible, Matthew 15. <laughs> I clearly don't know everything. <laughs> so Matthew 15, maybe. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> Try it. I don't know. Matthew 15, I'm pretty sure. There's this, uh, Jesus feeds the, five, the 4,000, but he does it with, with very little food. And that's the miracle of it. And he hands it out. And the people are like, we need a sign that you're from God. And he's like, no sign's going to be given to you. After he just fed thousands of people and there are baskets of food left over from the miracle right there by his feet. He was basically saying, you missed it. And you're going to continue to miss it because I'm going to raise a dead guy and I'm going to heal some blind eyes and I'm going to, a guy's going to cut a hole in my roof and he's going to be lowered down and, and he's going to be healed and he's going to run out of there after being handicapped for his whole life. That's kind of a miracle. I would count it as one personally, but I'm not a doctor. So maybe it's not, <laughs> maybe it's something else, right? So all these things happening and he's like, no signs going to be given to you because you were unwilling to receive the sign is the bottom line. The scariest thing about our hearts is that as much as we say, if God would just do this, then I would believe the reality is we would continue to resist him even in the midst of a miracle. I want to say that there's some lessons that I learned. You can go ahead and play, Reggie. Do I want me to play with you? Huh. I have this dream of worshiping on stage with Reggie. <laughs> That'll be powerful. Hey, there's no nacho analogy today. I'll just tell you that right up the front. Because Monday was terrible. (laughs) But I will say there are some lessons that I learned from Evaluation Day. Evaluation Day is coming. And it's always sooner and different than I want it to be. Cliff actually wants me to succeed. And that's why he takes me through all these exercises. But I want to eat bad food and sit around more than I want to be ready for evaluation. God desperately wants us to win on evaluation day. That's why he sends his Holy Spirit and draws us to himself. That's why he's given you the people in your life and the people in this room. That's why he allows good circumstance and bad circumstance alike to come to you and to challenge you and to shake you free from just routine so that you can know him and you can walk with him and you can pass that evaluation. What's important to me is not necessarily what's important to the person doing the evaluation. If I train by myself with one exercise and I show up and Cliff chooses the evaluation, then I'm going to fail the evaluation because I was doing the wrong thing. I can give a million dollars. But if giving a million dollars isn't the thing by which... I can't give a million dollars, by the way. (laughs) But if that's not what God is after, if God is not after planting, doing good things, walking old ladies across the street, giving away tons of money, showing up to church on Sunday morning, putting your hands up at the right time and the right way during the right song. If that's not what he's after, then we still fail the evaluation. And on the morning of evaluation or when the evaluation comes, it's too late to make the changes. I can't instantly get in shape. I can't instantly hydrate my body, but I got got to just do the evaluation and, and fail. 
I want to talk about our vindication. He's visiting us this morning. If you have any question at all about what the visitation of God feels like, it's this. I I hope what you feel is a subtle kind of prompting and urging to love God more, pursue Him. I hope you feel a sense not of torment and condemnation, but of, man, there's change available to me and I didn't even know it. And the desire to pursue that change and to step towards it. And no matter how far away you think you've run from God, he's, he's right here. And he'll continue to be right here and he'll continue to, to walk with you through today and tomorrow and the next week. But he's here to vindicate us and not to condemn us on the basis of, of our shortcomings and our failures and everything else. This is why he came on that week. To die and rise from the dead so that we could be reunited with him. Have our purpose and our meaning given to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to surrender to you to love you, to love you well. I thank you. It's by your gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith that we can pass the evaluation. If there's anybody here this morning today was a surprise to you the same way Monday was a surprise to me and you want to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time and just say God I I recognize that by myself I would I fail this evaluation but because of who you are and what you've done for me I can pass this evaluation can you raise your hand for me I want to pray with you. See that hand. See that hand. You can put your hands down after you put them up. They don't. They don't have to stay up. So pray with me if you raised your hand, and if you didn't raise your hand, I invite you to pray with me as well. Father, in Jesus' name. I recognize that all of my efforts, all of my strength, all of my goodness falls short of what you're looking for in me. What you desire for me. So today I surrender. I I surrender to you, God. I turn away from the things that I know to be sin. And I turn my heart's affection, my disposition, my hope to you. And ask you to forgive me of all my wrongdoings, past, present, and future. Help me, God. Give me the strength to follow you for the rest of my days. I thank you that in you, I pass the evaluation. In Jesus' name, amen.